0: Good Sunday morning to all of you. My name is Tracy Bianchi, and it's my joy to serve as one of our pastors here at Christ Church, specifically in our adult ministry department. And so anything small groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, that's the team that um, I get to be a part of, and it's very exciting. So, but today I'm thrilled to begin our Lenten journey together. Um, As was discussed earlier, this is the beginning of that 40-day journey, and the sermon series is simply titled, Messy, the challenge of loving people like Jesus. What does it mean to love others the way Jesus loved them? What does it mean to be so transformed ourselves by the love of God that we cannot help but love others as a result. And why is this so complicated? In Matthew 22, Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And then he goes on to say that the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the law and prophets means all of the Old Testament teaching Come down to these two things, love God and love other people. But loving others is so thorny and difficult that God does not assume we will somehow figure this out on our own, as if a few mere suggestions or notes in the Bible would lead us toward that. It is, in fact, so complicated that God recognizes that it needs to be commanded to us and held at this high standard that we find in Matthew 22. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Because it's hard to do. It's hard to arrive there on our own. So with that in mind, let's pray together for God's wisdom as we try to figure this out, and then we'll get into scripture with one another. Lord Jesus, thank you again for the opportunity and privilege to be here this morning, to sing your songs, to pray prayers to you. Thank you that you give us your word and this opportunity to understand what it means to love others in your way, in the way of Jesus. So open our hearts, open our minds, teach us something new about you today because we dared to come together and wonder about your love. In Jesus' name, the church together said, amen. So loving people is hard because people are hard. And It is very easy in a sermon about loving others and about how difficult people can be to sit and think, huh, I know God is talking to that person next to me, or I know God is really talking about this person that frustrates me in my life. No, God is talking to all of us. We are both called by God to love others, and we are also very difficult to love ourselves because We are messy people as well. This isn't a sermon for those other people. This is a sermon for all of us. Why are we so messy? We carry hidden wounds and stories that can make us difficult creatures. There are, in fact, as many opinions as there are people. We don't often like to hear the opinions of others, and Lamotte once quipped that, of course, everybody thinks their opinion is right. If they didn't, they would find a new one. We have annoying habits. Ask anybody who has a roommate, a sibling, or who's been married any length of time. People snore, they leave plates in the sink, they leave lights on, they show up late, they lose their keys. We have different personalities. Sometimes the extroverts push the introverts to the edge, and vice versa. We often struggle to understand different backgrounds, and customs, and languages, and pastimes, and food. Of, of, we, under, we struggle with cultures who are different than us. They can seem strange and confusing. Sometimes, if we're honest, people just plain exhaust us. They need things we don't want to give. They ask questions we don't really want to answer. They call or text at strange hours. They borrow our favorite book and never give it back. They take up time and space in our lives that we don't feel like we have to give. Loving people is messy. I was on a flight home from Boston earlier this week, and um, I don't know if you can relate to this, but have you ever been on a plane and almost everybody's boarded, and you have an open seat next to you, and you see an absolute disaster get on the plane. And maybe, maybe you're more noble than me, and you've never had this thought, but maybe you start thinking, please don't sit by me, please don't sit by me. And so I watched a woman who was challenging make her way onto the plane, and every single person on that plane who had an empty seat next to them was like, oh gosh, no. Please, Lord, no. And she sat down a couple rows in front of me, and I was like, yes, we're all going to be okay. But then she was in the wrong seat. She got up, and I was on the aisle, and there was a guy next to the window, and sure enough, she was smack in the middle on the plane. And as if to claim our territory on the plane, the guy at the window and me both like, immediately put our arms on the, we're like, oh, we got arms flat." And I kid you not, she sat down and went like this and popped both of us off of the armrests and she had this giant bag in front of her that she was hitting people on the head with as she made her way down the aisle. And I just kept thinking, I am preaching about the love of Jesus. (laughs) And I was like, please, Lord. And then I was like, I don't think I can do this because she had this bag filled with giant crinkly bags of Trader Joe's trail mix, and she started chewing cashews with an open mouth and I thought, I'm gonna have to come home and see if Dan Meyer can preach this sermon because he must love people better than I do. And you guys, she, uh, she swung both of her legs over on my side and she was sweaty and then I was sweating. She fell asleep. She started snoring. And she had, uh, on her phone, she had some casino game she was playing that didn't time out. And so she's asleep, the volume's up and it just keeps going. And I was like, So I did think again, I am preaching about the love of Jesus. And so as we get ready to get off the plane, I just, I really just wanted to get off the plane. And I stopped and I smiled at her and she was struggling with all her stuff. And I just got over myself for a second and all I did was a simple thing. I said, can I help you in any way? And she's like, yeah, because we couldn't get the bag out from the middle of the seat. And then she grabbed my arm, and she goes, thank you for your patience with me. Just an airplane. How much more does this happen when we start talking about the things that matter to us with people who disagree with us? People are hard. We can't even sit next to them on the plane let alone figure out how to get along with them in other spheres. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 is our text for today. Scripture says this, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this is the high season of Jesus' ministry. He is teaching, he is proclaiming God's kingdom, he is healing the sick. And what I invite you to notice first is the pace of this narrative. This text unfolds fast. There are a lot of verbs. Jesus is on the move and people now know who he is and we are told he is going through all of the towns. He's not skipping this one in favor of that one. He's moving throughout the entire countryside. And scripture also says then he is healing every disease. Crowds are following him. A quick list of some of the physical maladies that maybe people were bringing to Jesus at this time in history include pneumonia, smallpox, malaria, a variety of skin diseases, blindness is common at this time in history. This is a time without antibiotics or modern medicine. The number of health issues alone that would have come to the feet of Jesus is staggering. So imagine for a moment you are a parent with a sick child, or you're a child with a sick parent, or maybe you yourself have an illness that you've struggled with your whole life, of course you are going to go try to find this rabbi who is healing people. This would undoubtedly draw you to Jesus. Let's go find out what he's doing because he is healing people physically. Now add to that the good news of God that Jesus is preaching. He goes into the synagogues, we read, and he preaches the gospel. He's preaching relief from spiritual captivity. He's preaching eternal life and hope and rescue and redemption. He is preaching the God of love to a love-starved world. And anyone at that time with a sense that humanity was lost and dark and broken would then have also come to find Jesus and to hear what he had to say about the human condition. Every town he walks into, he finds a crowd, and it's not just one crowd. This is crowd after crowd after crowd. Humanity, limping, longing, hoping, praying, needing, clamoring their way through life Maybe like that woman at the very beginning, hitting everybody on the head with her luggage as she got on the plane. Eager to arrive at a new place, eager for hope, eager for health, eager with a brush with the God of the universe. They make their way toward Jesus. And the text says then that Jesus sees them. He sees the crowds and we are told his response is to have compassion for them, compassion. Compati in Latin means to suffer with. The actual Greek word used here, gives us an image of profound depth. It means actually to be moved in your inmost parts, in your digestive system, in your kidneys, your guts, the visceral soft tissue system of our bodies. This is where we get the idea of having a visceral response to something. Have you ever said, I couldn't take it anymore? My insides got all twisted up when I heard about that thing or saw that need. We might say things like, oh, when I heard that story, it made me sick to my stomach. Jesus has this visceral response to suffering. He is compassionate. Why does he respond with compassion? There are a variety of options Jesus could have chosen from. He could have responded with judgment, or anger, or with another sermon of some sort, but he responds with compassion. Why? The text says, because the crowds were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looks up, probably from whomever he was healing, or praying for, or preaching to, and he sees this tired out bedraggled crowd in front of him and he's overcome with compassion because they struggled and there's no one, he says, helping them find their way. He feels the pain of their disorientation. Now throughout scripture, this metaphor of shepherd and sheep is common It appears actually very early in the Old Testament in Genesis and it's threaded throughout the Old Testament perhaps most famously Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It continues to move its way throughout the ministry of Jesus and throughout the New Testament and God himself we are told is the shepherd of his people. He leads and guides his people. We're also told in scripture that human beings were set aside to shepherd others as well. King David or the Old Testament judges were later told that selfish kings and rulers who ruled for their own desire are then called selfish shepherds. In this passage, the harassed and helpless nature of the crowd is sort of a multi-layered reality. Jesus calls them sheep without a shepherd for a few layers of reasons. First, because the people who were meant to lead them had let them down. Whether it was the politicians at that time, the Roman government, or their own religious leaders, no one was caring for the crowds in the way that Jesus knew God wanted them to care. The systems designed to help them were corrupt or non-existent. The religious leaders, again, of their time, those tasked with spiritual caregiving were either complicit in creating chaos or indifferent to it. In fact, which is timely given that it is Lent, the religious leaders at that time were so jealous of Jesus' power and influence that instead of watching him care for people and seeing what he saw, they started plotting to kill him. This guy is way too popular. We need to move him on. So, so consumed with their own jealousy, they are not caring for God's people. They're just plotting to kill Jesus. So the crowds are spiritually lost because no one is caring for them. And then as we said, they are filled with people who have physical need. They are sick. They are struggling. The crowd is filled with sick, needy, anxious, nervous, lost, angry, misled, and hurt people, which to be honest sounds a lot like any crowd of people in our day. Group of humanity trying to move together to figure out the better way forward and the God of the universe looking at all that and going this group of people needs a shepherd. Jesus is overcome with compassion. If we stop here for a moment, I don't know about you, but I will often read a narrative like this, and I'm not quite sure where to put myself in the story. Because we have 2,000 years of hindsight in Bible studies and Christian colleges and seminaries and all these other things, and we can say, rightfully so, we live in a different era, right? We live in an era of modern medicine and artificial intelligence and the crowds look a little different today. So it is easy if we're not careful to kind of maybe think we're standing next to Jesus, like his junior associate or something. Like, oh yeah, I see what you see. How come they're not helping each other? Where are the shepherds? This is a grave error. We are both people in the crowd and perhaps also shepherds who can help people find their way through the crowd to find Jesus. We are both showing up with our own messiness, our own brokenness, the things we do to others, the ways we've made errors in our life. We are the messy people, but we also, any of us who've been around faith for any length of time might know something about the God who's inviting us to shepherd these people. We are not next to Jesus, surveying the scene. (laughs) We are in the crowd. Matthew does not say that Jesus had a consultant by his side. His disciples were nearby, but they're consistently touted as examples of missing the point. Last time I was uh, at a concert at Soldier Field, I don't know if the last time you've been to a Bears game or a concert there, I was uh, at a show last summer and it was June and it was like nine million degrees and uh, it, it took us forever to get out of the stadium and we were up in the really like altitude seats, we did not have great seats. And it took us forever to make our way down and all of humanity was shoved together the minute the concert ended. And it didn't matter whether you had the nosebleeds or the box seats or you were on the floor and could touch the stage. Everybody was shoved together for what took us about 45 minutes just to get out of Soldier Field and across to, uh, to the museum where we, the crowds finally let up. And I thought about that as I was studying this passage because I think what happens in the Christian life is we sort of like to th- hover over the scene and maybe think of directing it from on high as if we didn't have to exit the stadium with everybody else. And we walk and we bump into each other and what is really happening in the world is that we are in the crowd too. And so we are with people but also we know the God of the exit. (laughs) And sometimes the journey of faith and loving others is recognizing fully, we are messy people in the crowd too. But come with me, messy friend. I know the God of the exit. And that God has so transformed my life that I cannot help but figure out with you how to get to the other side of this crowd. Jesus sees the crowd and he sees all of this. And notice his reaction in in the text. It just says that Jesus saw them. He did not label them by their shortcomings or struggles. It does not say Jesus saw the paralytics, the lepers, the poor, the old, the young. It doesn't list what Jesus saw. There are no labels in this passage. It simply says that Jesus saw them. And throughout the gospels, we read that Jesus sees people over and over and over again in this same way. And John 1, Jesus, we're told, stops to see the disciples who are following. There's a couple people who are following him and they haven't made themselves known to him. And Jesus stops and turn around and he sees them. He's like, hey, what are you following me for? Come on, come on over. Let's have dinner together. Come with me. He sees them and he takes them along. In John five, there's a paralyzed man lying by a pool and Jesus sees him and we don't have all the details of the story but whatever exchange they have, Jesus learns enough about him and spends enough time seeing him to learn that this man has been lying there for 38 years and they have a conversation and Jesus sees his need and Jesus also sees the story behind that need. When Lazarus dies, Jesus sees the grief of his friends. He sees them weeping. And he doesn't just pat them on the shoulder with a pithy little statement, maybe he got somewhere along the way, he sits with them, he weeps with them. He sees the woman at the well. And he doesn't just see the label that the entire community had placed on her, he sees her and he asks her questions and he sits with her and he receives her story of loss and puts the pieces together on how she ended up in the situation that she was in and when blind Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus from the city gates where he was begging alone and everybody else shushed him like shush, don't bother Jesus. Jesus turns around and he sees Bartimaeus and he sees the struggle and he heals Bartimaeus but it's so much more than a healing. Jesus sees a blind man and restores his story and restores his place in the crowd. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote that we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do, which is where our labels come from, and more in the light of what they suffer. Jesus looks at the crowd He's moved to compassion for them, and he sees their stories. He sees how they've landed where they are. This, my friends, I think is one of the hardest and most significant things we can do as human beings. It's to truly see one another and to move past whatever label tells us what we think we already know about them and perhaps a Lenten practice for all of us, when somebody triggers us a little bit or we're ready to make a judgment real fast to stop and ask some questions about both that person and about ourselves as well. How did that person become the complicated irritant (laughs) that they are? How did I become? the compliment, you get what I'm saying, I can't even say it, the irritant that I am. What happened in that person's life that led them to that idea or that success or that failure and what about my own life? Why do I cling with a death grip to the ideas that I do? What were our childhoods like, what keeps them or me up at night? What tragedy or trauma have they suffered for which I know nothing? And what have I suffered that makes me react the way I do? What is the story that makes you or me or any of us who we are? Jesus, this passage says, sees this. He wouldn't have been moved in his guts to compassion for them if he just saw labels but he sees everything that has happened to everybody that leads them to become how they are and he says Whew, "I have compassion on this." And we live in a world today that does not allow the time or the space for us to ask that litany of questions I just read. You will get a lot more likes on social media or a lot more followers or gain a bigger platform if you can swing people to one end of the spectrum or another. It is easy to whip people up into a frenzy if all I see is a label that I was told on a meme or reel is true about you. We are either rural or urban or suburban. We are red states or blue states. We are public school people or we are private Christian school people or homeschooling families. We are rich and we are poor. We are different skin colors. We are different generations and never will they meet. This is the air we breathe. We are taught to push people to a pole, make an easy label about them, and then we don't have to look at them anymore. We can just write them off as those people who do those things that we don't like. This is not what Jesus sees when he looks at the crowd. He sees the people in the crowd. And all the tangled up pieces of their life that landed them with a label that somebody else might have slapped on them, but the God of the universe never slaps a label on us and certainly doesn't see us with our labels. So to see people in the way of Jesus is to see the story of life that created this person in front of you, and to learn to love them in that place. It's so interesting to me how fast we as human beings reject one another Sadly, even within Christian circles and in the church. Because if anybody had a reason to reject others, it was Jesus. I mean, it is a divine wonder that Jesus goes to the cross for us after taking in all of our shortcomings and our stupidity and our arrogant ways And the way we walk through life judging others, Jesus looks at us and comes to the unbelievable conclusion that instead of casting this whole thing aside, he's gonna go to the cross and redeem us and step in and absorb all of this for us. If anybody could have labeled the whole thing (laughs) as not worth his time and effort, it was certainly Jesus but he endures the cross from a place of love that can so transform us that we cannot help then but turn and see the crowds of our time in a dramatically different way through the eyes of love. Jesus sees the crowds and he sees divine possibility If there was not possibility in that crowd, he never would have moved to the action steps later in this passage. That he's hinting at, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Who's going to go and love these people? And Jesus looks out at the crowd and sees with the heart of God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, writes about the remarkable way that we should see one another in the light of Jesus. And he says this, he says, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you and I now meet only in a nightmare. He says, all day long, we are in some degree helping one another to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light then of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All of our friendships, all of our loves, all of our play, all of our politics should be carried out with this in mind. It is immortals, Lewis says, with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, next to communion, Lewis says, our neighbor is the holiest object ever presented to our senses. Whoa! That is a way of seeing people that I confess, I have a hard time doing. And then we enter the world of Jesus and we intersect a quote like that with this story of God's people and we are invited then to look at the crowd of immortals around us and wonder together how we can overlook them how we can hurt them, how we can injure them, how we can do anything for them other than love them in the way of Jesus. This is what the scripture is calling us to do. This is what it means to see people. So my friends, it is Lent. For the next 40 days, just take a minute and look at people before you react to them wonder about who they are before you post about them. If you're near somebody that you can't get any closer to, just pray for them somewhere in your life. Stop and see people as the beautiful beloved creatures of God that they are. May this be our Lenten journey together may it be the way we are found faithful workers as jesus invites us to be in a world with a harvest that is plentiful let's pray lord thank you for this invitation for the way you move us to see people the way you do lord this is not easy work and so first we confess to you all the times maybe even on our way in here this morning that we have loved people less than we've been invited to do and help us see them. Help us slow down and see our world, the people in it, the way you see them, as divine beings who bear the weight of your glory. In Jesus' name, the church together said.